Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. This podcast was quite a fun one for me. I'm speaking to Paul Savage, an ex-colleague of mine who helped me understand the value of speaking at conferences and how they can really help move a startup forward. Paul, of course, got one better than me by getting uh, his mother-in-law to give him elocution lessons. So let's find out what happened. Paul, it is fantastic to have you here today on the Fireside with Box Gig podcast. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, good to be here. Awesome. So you are an old colleague of mine and we have had similar careers, I guess, in terms of starting tech companies and using conferences and public speaking to promote those companies and try and sell stuff. I think you started off talking at conferences a bit earlier than me because I was a developer for longer before um, starting to do more businessy stuff. Do you remember the first time you spoke at a, at a proper conference with a proper audience, you know, sort of more than 100 people? What was that like? Was it a difficult one or was it easy? Oh, God. It was horrible. Absolutely horrible. I was working in the telecommunications industry at the time, and telecommunications industry was all about you know, reliability and speed and quality of service. Yeah. And they used technologies and languages like C and C++. And uh, Java had, a, had made an appearance, and uh, my boss back in the time had asked me to have a look at Java, and then I subsequently went on to develop one of the first Java interfaces for our product. Uh, which was great on one side because I, I loved playing with the new technology. And uh, Java was a very raw language back then, but it was, it was great fun. But I also had to present. And that literally gave me nightmares. I didn't see myself as a public speaker, hadn't really any experience. I was very, very lucky that I had a, a mother-in-law who was specialized in kind of training people for public speaking. She kind of got me ready for that. I think I ended up doing um, two or three public speaking medals, actually, with her over a couple of years. Wow, okay. That's a fantastic uh, gift to have, isn't it? It's great. On the back of that, would you recommend that people actually get trained? Because it sounds like that was kind of key to your getting over the hump, being able to do it. Yeah, well, I guess, and maybe I have this in common with people, or maybe I'm odd, but I still do not consider myself in any way confident on on a stage. And I'm always surprised after I do a presentation where people will kind of come to me and go, God, you know, it's just so easy. You just get up there and you just talk. And it's a very interesting, like, I kind of look around when somebody says to me, kind of wondering who's behind me, who they're actually talking to, because I still get a little, you know, butterflies in the tummy every, every time before I do anything. And the initial confidence to get up was really, really helped by that early training. You know, it, it just changes. And when you project confidence, you know, whether you're, you're on a small or a big stage, it, it changes the way people listen to you and, and what kind of impact you can have, you know? So that's, that's a vital piece of the puzzle for me. 
there was a couple of things that I didn't do that I really should have done. Oh yeah, okay. That I kind of helped people, you know, say. So the first thing is to to try with events that that really it doesn't matter. And what I mean when I say that is, you know, that and, the, and we did this in near form, right? So we had internal knowledge here, and we had uh, more recently when we we got together for this this kind of company get together, we had like I think 15 people who had actually never spoken before, never stood up and spoken before, actually deliver, uh, you know, just 10, 20 minute lightning talks. But that that practice, that just getting up and doing it actually breaks and, and creates that confidence for you at the start. Uh, I, I didn't do that though. I, I I went straight in and I walked out on, on stage. <laughs> <That's very cool. laughs> well, okay. So you're being very modest because of course I've seen you operate, right? And, and Nearform, uh, the, the, the uh, company that we had both been in previously, that company had a, had a, a great culture of speaking, but also um, there was a little bit of one-upmanship in terms of, of lack of preparation and then jumping on stage. I think that would be fair to say. Yeah, yeah. Does another, should we just make this a podcast about what you shouldn't do first? Because that, that, like, that's <laughs> definitely a... Like, yeah. I advise everybody never to do that. And I've... I've um, and we've done it ourselves, loads. Anyway, so... Uh, yeah, there was also a huge standard, though. Like this was a, and and people got very comfortable on stage. Mark Clements and Matteo, and they love standing together. And during one of their talks, I can't remember what it was. It was a full stack of one of those three or four hundred people in front of them. Matteo was enjoying David talking, and David was in full flow talking away through a fairly complex complex uh, piece about, about the way that they've improved performance on a particular system. And he noticed I was about to take a photograph. And he had a, a picture uh, from Kung Fu Panda on his, on his deck. And as I went to take the picture, he just assumed the same pose uh, that, that the character in Kung Fu Panda <laughs> had assumed. And that's the picture I have. He didn't slow down or break or anything like that. He just kept going. And, and that was the, the kind of standard of where we, we kind of, we had in near form where we had you know, there was probably, I don't know, 10 very serious presenters in that company, I'd say, was it? Easily. I mean, it certainly was very inspirational. Yeah. It's interesting to reflect on some of the uh, places that we ended up there because yes. because both of us were more on the, the business end of things. We'd often end up doing a lot of meetings and a lot of travel, and you'd often get invited to speak at a, at a conference while you were doing business travel, which meant you had very little time to prepare. So you often ended up having to sort of wing it on stage. Let's go back to the, the, the elocution lessons because I'm, I've never done that. And, and you've said that you, you've kind of fell back on them as, as, a, as a way to ground yourself when you're going on stage. Do you remember any particular key points, any, any particular techniques or things that you found really useful? There's a few things actually. So the breathing is one that is massive, absolutely brilliant when you're there. So the way you breathe controls everything. And I've actually done enough sort of running over the years. And like long before I did public speaking, I was, I was doing running. And I, I, I knew about how important it was to control the breathing and different breathing techniques to actually make you a better athlete. So, uh, but it also works on stage. So slowing down your breathing can just calm you down. Uh, taking deep breaths, being aware of it, and just, just takes away maybe a focus on the audience or you know things that will cause free talk anxiety. And uh, so the breathing is one. Standing is another. Oh, yeah? Okay. The way you stand is it changes what you're saying. And it, it, it changes the way 
that what you're saying comes across, I should say. So you plant your two feet squarely and you stand square to the audience, you, you come across in a different way than when you're walking around the stage or when you're just leaning casually on one foot, you know, or, or, you know, up against the podium. So, and each one can be used as a little bit of a device. So it's kind of a, I'm not sure it's quite drama or acting, but it's not just public speaking, not, not just about that. What else was there? It was the projection element of it. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an interesting one, right? Because usually you have a mic or something like that, but you still need to project, don't you? You do. And the, of course, the big, big one is slow down. That one thing I learned early on is the Irish people speak very, very quickly, like really quickly. And despite what we think ourselves, we do have an accent that is not necessarily uh, easy uh, for international people to interpret what we're saying. And the same is true as well when you've got like, you know, got some incredible uh, foreign language speakers over the years that I've watched uh, present. And, you know, uh, certainly I can think of a few of them that when we started with them, you literally couldn't understand what they were saying. Like they were, it was solid gold in the presentation if you could only understand the words. Because they were racing through a script and speaking with that bit of an accent. I'm ashamed to admit this now, but it, it has to be done and I have to, I have to beg for forgiveness. It has been the case in the past that uh, I've been unable to go to give talks and have sent you my slides. <laughs> oh, here's a 20 slide deck. Go present my stuff. And you, I have to say, you've done a brilliant job. Yeah. Thank you for my life on a number of occasions. Well, you've actually never done the same to me, which I'm eternally grateful. Not yet, Richard, but I'm... <laughs> you will get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for my chance, Richard. I'm Once waiting you get a for chance. my chance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this happens, right? So, you know, you, you start, you, you realize public speaking is important for your career. You start doing meetups. You start doing smaller events. You, you might get a conference talk or two. Your boss notices and feel confident, feels confident about sending you out to do speaking. And it's all wonderful. And you get a promotion, et cetera, et cetera. But... Once your boss realizes that you have a basic level of competence around this sort of stuff, well, first of all, they, when they have speaking gigs, they, they tend to pass them off to you. I know that's happened to me with other bosses. Yeah. But sometimes they've done the deck and then they can't go for various reasons. And, they, and they're like, oh, who's good, at, who's good at speaking now? Oh, yeah, it's Paul. Here you go, Paul. Give my joke. Yes. What's your advice to someone who's in that situation? I think the first is that it, it, it really only worked because of a sufficient familiarity with the subject matter. Right. So it did go badly wrong for me at one stage where one of the guys had researched something that I knew literally nothing about and handed me a deck. Yikes. And, and it wasn't, I wasn't happy. You know, and you come up, you come up something and you're not happy with how it went, you know? So, and, and it really does come across. So I think, one of the good things, uh, you know, in, in terms of the way we worked was that, first of all, I suppose it would have been quite familiar. But second of all, you were always, I suppose, as somebody who understands what it's like to go on stage, you always gave me enough time so that I could understand what message you were trying to convey with each slide, you know, what you want to try and get across. Was there any particular domain knowledge? And also, generally, this tended to happen literally, you know, 24 or 48 hours before an event, but you know, you'd have a little bit of time to read up a few websites and just double check things and make sure you were 100%. So, so you kind of go on stage as much as possible, not reading the slide set for the first time. Like that's, that's definitely a no, no. 
Oh yeah, don't do that. <laughs> You've probably seen me give some of them or maybe seen videos. That was probably helpful, I guess. Yeah, in, in most situations, I would have seen you give them at least once and uh, possibly a few times. <laughs> so, <laughs> I even had the jokes to go with the slides. <laughs> <There weren't any. laughs> Pay attention when your boss is speaking, right? Because you may have to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. It nearly happened to me one time in San Francisco at a Silicon Valley pitch meeting. Right? You know, one of those like super intense ones where there's like 200 investors in the room. And my boss, we went to a Mexican and it didn't agree with him. This is two days before this pitch. Oh, yes. And he told me, you're going to have to do Lovely. it. And yeah. thank the gods. He was, he was okay <laughs> when the time came. He was okay. And he got, he got up and... Because I would have bluffed it completely. Because I hadn't been paying attention to the business stuff at all. So that would have been a complete disaster. Yeah. And, and, and that can happen when you go. And we used to go as a team present. And very often we'd break up the presentation between. So there'd be somebody presenting the technical aspect, somebody presenting the operational, and some presenting the, uh, the commercial side of things. And it's very, very easy if you're, you're only doing one bit of that to kind of ignore what's going on in the other presentations and in the other talks. And, uh, and then suddenly somebody misses sight or whatever else, and you're, you're, you're by yourself in those presentations. And you have to take more than you normally would take. So it is... It's actually more important than it, it seems to be very aware of what other people are saying when they present, whether it's, you know, to customers, or to sales, or whether it's, you know, to at conferences to a larger audience. It's actually, you know, it's very easy not to listen. It's surprisingly easy not to listen. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. I think this is an important point, right? Because not only if you pay attention to what your colleagues are saying when they talk, but also other speakers at a conference, you can... Um, you can incorporate it. You're more kind of connected to the, the general flow of information. Uh, that's a really good point. Yeah. So I was going to move on to the subject of startups because you are, uh, you're back in the startup game, as, as am I. And I'm sure that having seen the power of public speaking and conferences and all that sort of stuff in near form, uh, well, I, I mean, I, I was certainly applying this, the strategy with VoxGig, given that it's an events company. And I'm, I'm sure you had been planning to ramp up your engagement in your new company, uh, Conjura, on um, conferences and, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, suddenly we find ourselves in the middle of a global pandemic. So I'm very interested to hear how you guys are managing that and how that's changed your strategy. Maybe, maybe just kind of, let's, let's take it from a historical perspective, right? So take it, take it from you know, maybe uh, late last year when it looked like it, it was just 2020 was just going to be, you know, a normal year through the transition to now and how you guys are approaching it. Yes, it's, um, it's an interesting year. So I suppose, but let's start, I suppose, by mapping it back towards to, to Nearform and, and explain how and why. So with Nearform, we had this wonderful technology called Node that was kind of emerging and there was a community emerging around that. And there were a load of events associated with that. There were meetups, there were conferences, there was uh, NodeConf EU, obviously, was the one that we ran in Europe. And there were ones we attended in the States and uh, things like Fullstack in, in, in London, where you had all this noise around this new, emerging, exciting, first of all, the Node platform itself, and then after later on, some of the new ways that we'd architect systems around it. And 
throughout all of that, there was a very, very strong thread of open source. You know, open source in terms of sharing the effort, but also building a community. And that, that serves, you know, to, to help you advance platforms faster, helps in terms of acquiring customers, and it helps in terms of actually hiring the best staff. Because, you know, very, very often the top people will get involved in the open source community in an area. So uh, with Conjura, we're in a, a similar kind of a situation. Uh, it's a customer data analytics as a service platform. And I suppose the, the area of data analytics and data analysts has been a little bit manual um, to date. You know, the, the, the approaches there uh, tend to be kind of once-off workflow transformations type approach. And the big change that's happening there is the, the trend is now moving towards kind of bringing engineering principles and all the principles that we would have had as software engineers to bear in this area now. And uh, with that, I suppose there is standard ways of building data pipelines. And there's also nice open source emerging around that. So naturally, the, you put one and one together, and I thought, well, open source trends did a, helped us a lot with Nearform and attending events to align ourselves and, and really get involved in the community is, is a great way of actually, you know, taking part. Oh, yeah, and, and really works, right? Visibly. So, you know, there's a fantastic, you know, opportunity here to do the same thing. And, uh, yeah, I think we would have been attending our first uh, event this month, uh, which would have been great. And it, it would have been amazing. I knew something big was going down when we, we both of us had attended had attended Mobile World Congress multiple times, right? So Mobile World Congress yeah. is this massive, massive conference that happens in Barcelona every February. And it's for the telecommunications industry. And it's got like, I don't know, 200,000 attendees. And it's just mega, mega, mega conference. And they canceled it this year. They canceled it. Yeah. yeah. Which is just inconceivable. It just, I mean, the amount of contracts and just, I mean... Crazy, crazy, right? Yeah. Launching new business, you know, big businesses sign new contracts. Everybody would hold off that whole world, they'd hold off announcements for that conference. It was it was like, yeah, absolutely. When I when I heard that was down, that was one of my big right, this thing is is gonna change the world kind of moments. Oh yeah. It was scary. Yeah. Now I, I will say that we we had presented at a few private equity house conferences you know so these are kind of small conferences a couple of hundred people and we're we're really talking to people in private equity firms about the power of data analytics and customer data analytics you know in terms of understanding you know a company that they're about to buy or about to sell you know exactly how how they should value it and, and how how much impact i suppose increasing the amount that the company could spend on advertising would have that's a key kind of a, a use case and it's a market that we've sold into and we did speak at events. And we actually spoke at an event in, um, when was it? It was in Amsterdam. I think it was in early February. So it was just, just before all this started. This was an in-person event, right? And it was actually in person. Yeah, when we were in the same room, it was just like strange now. But, you know, and it was quite like social distancing wasn't a thing, but like there was no way. It was, you know, people were crammed into this room because people tend to, to like our sessions. You go to a standard little conference and there's multiple tracks. Everybody tries to get in on yours. And it was quite in Interesting to see the difference between that event, which it was fantastic. So it was it was organized by one of the, the private equity houses. It had one of the leading global consultancies present. It had one of the major insurance companies in the UK present. They've undergone a 
digital transformation, which they're actually calling it data transformation now, actually, because it's, it's so, that is so important in terms of getting it right. And, and it was all wonderful. And we got to share ideas. And we had a, a wonderful presenter over from the state business I hadn't come across before. What sounded like a very boring business from the outside, but actually turned out to be fiercely exciting from a technology perspective. And I am going somewhere with this, by the way, Richard. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, this is how it works. We had a great, our CEO, Fran, presented most of the time. Uh, I presented some of the tech bits. Uh, We have another one of our founders, Simon, who's over there. He joined in with some of the background. His background is in the financial industry in London. So it was a nice, rounded presentation. We were all extremely happy with it. And uh, uh, luckily, we have actually secured business out of it. But we also had new network of people that had also spoken at the event that we, we ended up speaking to afterwards, which is brilliant. This is why you have in-person events, because you get to do all this wonderful stuff, right? Exactly. Now, the other good thing was that it was a new side deck we were trying out. And you know yourself with new side decks, right? Sometimes it works and sometimes you need to tweak it a little bit, you know? And uh, we just hadn't got the, the balance right. We've gone a little bit too technical, and, but it wasn't a problem, right? So what actually happens when you're in the same room is really, really simple. Uh, you start watching the, the fidget factor increases or people kind of start checking their phones or whatever, whatever it is. Nobody would have been that rude in this particular place, but it was definitely, you could see kind of uh, people not quite as engaged. And Fran was able to just, they just change gears, flip into the next section and keep the engagement levels high throughout the presentation. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, know, I mean, I've done it myself, right? That's something naturally that, that, you know, you get a chance to do. You're watching all the time when you're presenting. You're trying to figure out whether you're hitting the mark or not. It's very satisfying when you get an ooh or an ah or a laugh out of an audience. But the reality is that most of the time, you know, it's just very important to make sure they're still awake (laughs) (laughs) and engaged, right? So now we've done one similar event since this uh, social distancing kicked in, this lockdown. Yeah. And that was very different. Yeah. Much the same kind of attendee profile, same kind of organization, same kind of format around. It was a kind of a, a one-day event with mixed internal and external stuff. And it was, from a content perspective, almost as strong as the previous event. And uh, thankfully, it also uh, generated business, which is very, very good news. And that's, that's great to have that. But it would have been, I think, a different result had we tried to present the slides for the first time at this in this virtual kind of world because the feedback was much more difficult you know and it's actually simple things that that scupper you right so you know you're on zoom right and you have your presentation on one screen and you've got the you know the tiled view of your attendees on the other that looks like it's great and you go to present and it puts you in a presenter view so like you know, if you use PowerPoint, the, the full screen PowerPoint comes up on your main screen and all your speaker notes come up on the other screen. You can't see people anymore. It's like, well, that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> they're gone. Okay, well, I just guess how they're reacting. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the other thing was, we didn't have any real contact with the other speakers in the same kind of way, you know, which was a real pity and would be a bigger pity because I'm trying to think back through all my various experiences with conferences and that. And I would say, you know, think about the, the speaker's dinner that happens, you know, the night before everybody has to present. Yeah. Like, this, that's where you have some very interesting conversations. You make some great contacts, you make some great friends, you know, you, you get some great ideas. And often, actually, the only people, if you're specializing in an industry, the people who are 
most able to engage with you and, and kind of have decent conversations around what you're trying to do are, are the people who are speaking at the event, right? So, you know, very often you can get as much out of that as from the attendees. So that was missing. And the, the other thing was the uh, figure out who you're going to chat to later dynamic was gone. I don't know whether you, does that make any sense to you? But yeah, yeah. When you were speaking, you, uh, well, certainly for me, I like some kind of reaction from, from the people who are listening. You know, obviously, once you get up to the bigger conferences, it's not really possible to take questions very much and things like that. But, you know, you, you would hope to get a couple of questions and you would hope to some people would approach you afterwards with some something they want to follow up on or, you know, maybe challenge some of the things you're saying and sometimes very strongly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're kind of, you know, when you're, when you're in that dynamic, you're figuring out, right, this is somebody who I actually like. I like what they're doing. I like what their ideas are. I like what they're, you know, I like the business they're involved in. I wouldn't mind uh, building a relationship with them. Uh, I'm going to be looking to uh, kind of have a conversation later on in a less formal environment when there isn't a queue of 15 people behind them because they yeah. just come off stage, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that uh, even, even with the webinar questions, you just, it's, it's very difficult to, to get that, uh, you know, it, it, it's still... It still happens to follow up, but it's formal. And it's a bit, I don't know, I feel stilted because I I love the very casual idea of, you know, kind of just, you know, everybody kind of standing around chatting, you know, over a bit of uh, lunch or a bit of food after the conference or whatever. And and you just have those conversations. They kind of happen naturally. When you have to go, well, I'll I'll reach out to you after the call. And then you have to figure out who they were and then go look for their contact details of the organizer and then say, hey, do you remember me? And then wait for the week because they're, you know, if they're in a the startup, they might have hit some explosive growth or whatever else. They want time to get back to you. And then, you know, it feels more broken up, you know. So that's the, the big thing I miss. <laughs> and nobody's really solved that problem, have they? I'm just wondering, like, are we just going to have to wait around for another year? And it's all rubbish in, in terms of, of achieving those objectives? Or are we going to figure out new stuff, new ways to do webinars? Yeah, well, we definitely have to figure out new things, right? Because... There are some things that will come back to normal, but there are some things that actually won't for quite a while. Um, you know, and even down to just habits, people just aren't going to be as comfortable in crowds for a while. And that's, that's just it, you know. Even now, you know, you're kind of, you, you, you're out in the supermarket and somebody sneezes three aisles over from you and you're kind of, you know, you're wondering <laughs> if you should like, you know, do you leave the shop? Do you report them to the police? You know what, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it is ridiculous the way it plays on your, on your psyche. So this is a big change. And coping with stuff like that, you know, we have to try and get back to, to the kind of human aspect of it. I did a bit of work with a company called Meeting Room that I own. Now, they have an interesting uh, virtual reality meeting room offering. And they're doing they're really, really well. Uh, they're a Dublin-based company. They're yeah, yeah. Fantastic piece of tech. Absolutely fantastic piece of tech. There's a couple of issues with it. I mean, uh, the, the big one, obviously, is that you have to have a virtual reality headset. And they're actually quite hard to buy at the moment because everybody, everybody in the world is trying to buy them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was very different. In some ways, it picks up more body, body language than a video call. So it was better. In some ways, it transmits less because it's not doing the same level of facial expression. So it was, it was an interesting experience. I think it's something that when it matures fully, it's going to be absolutely game-changing. But I think that will be a while. I don't think that will solve our problem this year. The real way to solve the problem, I think, is actually to to look at 
uh, from a conference organizer's perspective to look at the aspects that are missing. Like what's, what's really missing? And I think that's where maybe a bit more thought, there might be some easy solutions. I had a very weird experience a couple of weekends ago. I got on a Zoom call yeah. to have some drinks with my, my friends from college. Yeah. That to me is just odd. But it was great fun. Absolutely great fun. Absolutely not as good as being there in person. But, you know, it was, it was something that we were, we just did and, and it got a chance to catch up and everything else. So I think things like conference organizers doing things like speaker chats before and around events might help. I think that bringing in more of the social aspect would be an addition. It's trying to create some kind of informal environment. Even if it has to be created somewhat artificially, it'll be 10 times better. The closest I've come come to that was actually a um, a kind of a quiz environment that was run recently. Yeah. And the way it worked was quite interesting. It was a centralized video conference and there were smaller video conferences for the team members, right? Yeah. And there was a lot of collaboration involved. It wasn't a simple general knowledge, yes, no answer quiz. So it actually created a lot of opportunities for conversation between people in small groups and then swap people around between groups as well as part of the exercise. And it was just, it was a different type of fun and games. And it was uh, actually Hannah and Jim from Conjura that put it together. It was logistically interesting trying it for the first time. But it worked incredibly well. That's definitely a good suggestion for, uh, I mean, a lot of virtual events that I've attended have just been people speaking at the audience without much interaction in that way. I don't know what the answers are, but I think you're right. There's going to have to be a lot of experimentation and we're going to have to figure out a better way to do it virtually. VR is interesting because if you've ever tried it, the headsets are still quite bulky and uncomfortable. And just recently, we saw the CEO of, of Magic Leap, one of the sort of darling VR companies, uh, resigning because their technology hadn't really made sufficient progress. It caused me to go and look at reviews of it. And, and just the ergonomic aspects of wearing a headset still feels like we have a long way to go on VR. It's not the solution in 2020, I don't think. No, no. For me, there's an awful lot of use cases where VR does make sense. And I, I hearken back to that, that ad in the 90s. You know, sometimes it's good to text and sometimes it's good to talk. And I think sometimes video calls are very appropriate and sometimes VR is more appropriate. I definitely think that when the transmission technologies get a bit better, a presenter being in VR and an audience just consuming that is going to work exceedingly well. I have seen an awful lot of interesting VR played into AR scenarios where you've got like, people appearing in bars and things like that. And, and it's very interesting to see that some people actually mistake it for a real person until the person who controls the ARV or zooms in and suddenly they, they become giant. Like, and then everybody goes, oh my God, it's <laughs> not a real person. <laughs> so, That's a good idea. Yeah, I like it. That'll make it much easier to, to present. Yeah, that could work. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing, nothing better than having to. And I suppose the other, the reality of it is that a bit like yourself, right? You get caught traveling, right? And business travel sounds great until you have to do it. And then after the third trip, it's you're on an airplane by yourself. (laughs) There's no glamour, but you know, so there's a lot of downsides to it. You're away from your family. You know, the the events part is, is great fun. Like it's enjoyable. Like you're meeting people who have the same kind of ideas as yourself. You're able to explore ideas and talk and get excited about tech and 
for me, meet similar types of nerds. And it's a wonderful experience to be able to do that. It's, it's actually a positive thing. So having that taken away leaves conferences very flat when people are used to having that aspect to it. It's up to conference organizers to say, you know, it's not a question of just waiting a couple of months and then getting everybody back into a venue and get the question of what can I do to help recreate the various value points and the various attractions of, of the conference. And that's the big thing. So some of it's tech and some of it's creative organizing, I think, I believe. And that's hopefully that'll get us back to, to somewhere near where we were. I think it's true to say the world has changed, and I think it's 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 true to say that that you we can't we can't just expect a, a, a total return to normal for events. I think they're always going to now have some online aspect, some hybrid aspect to them. Yeah. But what it will be and how it's all going to play out is very much up in the air. Certainly, I'm going to look forward to presenting with a VR headset to to an audience. I think that's you got me excited about doing that now. See if I can wangle my way into some conference where I can do that. That's fantastic. Thank you very much for um, your perspective on things. And uh, I guess the big one of the big takeaways is get elocution lessons. If your boss is doing talks, make sure you pay attention because you might have to do it yourself. Yeah. And yeah, it's going to be a brave new virtual world. We have to wait and see. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Richard. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com who help make this podcast possible till next time remember take a deep breath pause and step forward <laughs>